Tonight here at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to continue going through our Bible series. And tonight's message is on 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians was a, a letter. But first of all, Paul received a letter telling him that there was some bad reports of things that were going on in Corinth. So he had written the original letter that we would consider 1 Corinthians to try to correct some of these problems. <clears throat> and it appears that the church as a whole rejected Paul and his teachings and, his, and rebelled against his authority. So what we see in this follow-up letter, Paul actually goes there in person and begins to address some of these things, and it's considered the, the painful visit. You know, sometimes when we have to deal with correction, whether we're correcting someone or being corrected, it can be a, a very painful moment, especially if people don't turn to the side of the Lord. However, when people do respond to correction and then they humble themselves and submit and then begin to be shifted, it can be a very glorious time. You know, So after this letter was sent, Paul begins to state, and he's writing in anguish and in tears, you know, that he begins to write this second letter, that he realized that their arrogance, that they weren't apologetic to Paul, and that there was no way for Paul to truly bring reconciliation. So Paul was writing this second letter, known as 2 Corinthians, to assure of them that his love was in commitment was through King Jesus, and that God in all of his mercy brought comfort and brought peace into their encounter to him and to the Corinthians. But during this time of division and dispute, he acknowledges that things have been tense, and since his last painful visit, Paul makes it very clear that he has forgiven them and wants to open up an honest relationship with them, but why... Have they rejected Paul in the first place? You know, that we're fickle as human beings. As long as somebody is doing what we want them to do, we praise them. You know, and the second that somebody doesn't do something that we want them to do, we are very critical of that person. Now, this is magnified and amplified if that person is in any sort of leadership. You know, that if the leader is saying and doing things that I agree with, praise that leader. But the second that leader does or says something that I don't agree with, that we find every single thing that's possibly wrong with that leader. And see, this is what's going on in this Corinth church. Paul has been away. Paul is going to other places. Paul is planning other churches. Paul is traveling. And then through that, as, you know, the cat's away, the mouse play. You know, and Corinth is getting influenced by the city, and there's also these traveling, you know, preachers that are coming through and preaching on some levels a very different gospel than the gospel that Paul would preach. You know, in my times as a leader, you know, I've been ridiculed and... and criticized and had rocks thrown at me and had awful things talked about me and rumors talked about me, you know, and in the end, there's not a lot I can do about what other people say or do, 
except duck my head and trust that Jesus brings around what is true and what isn't true is revealed. You know, and I think that this is the same, you know, of what Paul is doing. You know, and we can only trust, you know, in the Lord in, in times like this. You know, we will never be completely at peace with everybody that we know. It's just never going to happen. For those of you that are married, we'll just pray for peace for the rest of the day. But typically, we go through many times, <laughs> the married couples are laughing and smiling at me, and, and like, you have no idea what we went through to just get here tonight, Tom. But anyway, <clears throat> you know, that we're going to have relationships with people. And if you have any sort of a relationship with people, most of us come to the understanding that people suck. So we, we tend to avoid people. We tend to isolate. We tend to, you know, hide. But this brings on a darkness that sometimes it's hard to overcome. That there's something about community. There's something about unity that brings a peace that goes beyond our understanding that only Jesus can do that. You know, so as, you know, we're going through hard times, most of you did not come to GZM for the very first time and everything in your life was going great. Normally you walk through that door very broken, hurting, not wanting to walk through the door, very scared, feel, you know, a lot, tons of anxiety, but yet came in and started to, you know, feel like you belonged and realized that this isn't a place of judgment and that, the other people are just as jacked up as you are, so this can feel like home. You know, and that none of us really have all the answers. We're just trying to figure out Jesus and walk through this crazy thing called life together. But the more we bring unity, the stronger we become. You know, and the more that we have consistency, the stronger we become. You know, and when we don't have anyone that's technically leading us on any level, and it's just me and Jesus, that's all I need, things get crazy real fast. Most people that have no relationships with people within the church, and it's just them and Jesus and, you know, their TV Christian stations, normally they're the most critical and judgmental and trying to, affect, or, you know, criticize and find all these things wrong with the church and everybody else. And it's really hard to have a relationship with them because they're always right. And it's funny how we get into community and we start to realize that none of us are right. You know, that we all have things that need to be worked on. That people help us to see all the areas in our lives that we are missing it. And that we need some more Jesus in this little area. You know, and, you know, I call them sandpaper people. You know, each one of you is a sandpaper to somebody else and that, you know, we, we sand down the rough edges and eventually those jagged rocks become smooth stones and that we can represent Jesus better together, you know, and see what's going on is they don't have any real official leadership that I can see. They're kind of just doing whatever they want to do and somebody will come along and preach and sometimes we hear very different messages, you know, my message isn't really accepted very well because I'm always telling you that you need more Jesus and you got junk to work on. And people don't really like hearing that message, 
We like hearing that I am great, praise God, things are good, you know, glory to King Jesus. You know, and we just dance around with our flags, praising God all the time. And there's a time for that. There is a time to worship Him because He is King. But there is a time that I need to really look at. I am a wretched sinner and I got some areas in my life that are completely out of control and I need some more Jesus in this area because if I don't address it, it has the capacity to pull me into places I don't want to go or pull me back into places that I've been that I don't want to return to. You know, and we start realizing that sometimes we need people that tell us the truth. It doesn't always feel good in the moment. Most of you I've pissed off at some point or another in your life and in your journey as you travel with me is because I'm not afraid to tell you what the truth is. You know, and through the years I've gotten a lot more graceful in that ability to tell people the truth because many, many years ago I had zero grace and it was just all truth. You know, and I had to learn how to be a better leader. I had to learn how to give room for people. To, to make their own decisions, you know, in my leadership and codependency, I would try to control and caretake people and get them to serve Jesus correctly. And that doesn't work, you know. And how often do we think we know what's best for other people and they should do what we think they should do? And then if they're not doing what we think they should do, that they're missing Jesus, you know, and it's like, meanwhile, we're not paying attention to the areas that we need to be working on because we're totally missing Jesus because I'm totally focused at you. Because I don't want to look at my stuff because then I actually have to do some work on me. Praise God. You know, like, and we do all these things to distract ourselves. And Corinth is doing that. They're getting involved in the worship of the, you know, in the city. There's a lot of lust going on with the worship of, of you know, the different Greek gods and goddesses <coughs> and temple worship of, you know, getting prostitutes. There's preachers coming through that are preaching. And it's so interesting when you kind of read to the text. They're preaching this prosperity gospel. They're preaching it 2,000 years ago. The same stuff that we see on TV today, it's biblical and it's being addressed and how that's incorrect. You know, so they're grabbing a hold of that. Because Corinth is a very wealthy city. It's the, it's the, you know, it's the center of the metropolis of Greece and Rome, that it's a port city. There's lots of trade going on. There's a lot of wealth. There's a lot of wealthy people. So greed is this thing that is being fed amongst the people. But Paul as a leader, he was poor. You know, he earned a wheat, uh, a very meager living as a, a tent maker. And he went all these different places paying for his own way. So he was traveling at his own expense and going to different cities and learning how to live in different cities and planting churches at different places at no expense to anyone else. You know, but yet there's other preachers that are coming through that are preaching this like prosperity gospel and they're getting tons of money thrown at them and they're living on, you know, living in wealth. So they're looking at Paul as that he's not a good leader because he's poor and has a meager a means. So once again, we're looking at people that are wealthy as people that are blessed by God. But if we really look at Scripture, it's the poor that are blessed. 
you know, and it, it's this theme that we see constantly in Scripture that Jesus' kingdom is the opposite of the way we would do anything. You know, and for us to truly come to Jesus, there is this denial of self and following Him, and nothing that He's telling us to do makes any sense at all. But yet, as we do it and apply it to our life, our life gets better and better and better. And when we resort back to our own control and doing it our way, things begin to fall apart again and again. And it's like, what is wrong with me having something that I want? Nothing, technically, unless it's not what God wants you to have. And then you're going to be fighting with them. And the last time I tried to fight with them, I didn't win. And I would care to say, for the rest of you, you didn't win either. Because you didn't win the Mega Ball, and you're not you're here tonight. But anyway, <clears throat> and Paul was not this great speaker. You know, he was meager. You know, and he was humble. You know, and there's people that are very charismatic that can really, you know, lift up a room in their ability to preach or speak. You know, and we see that as well. You know, on on Christian television, and there's motivational speakers that are preaching all sorts of weird stuff, but they have this huge following because they pull them in with their words. You know, if you buy my program for $1,900, then I'm going to make you the best person, da 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 You know, and it's like, I want to do that. You know, and we, we give these people money because they're promising something to us that normally doesn't come true at all. That, you know, once he was there, he's trying to expose, you know, all these other people that are wealthy, you know, and these impressive Christian leaders. You know, they started to think less of Paul because he wasn't this great communicator. He didn't come through as a wealthy person. He didn't, you know, carry himself in the the charismatic way that other people may have carried themselves. You know, and they started to criticize Paul as a leader. You know, and typically, as a person, the best thing that we can do to never listen to someone is find fault with them. So, if you don't want to listen to anything what I say, you can start finding fault in things that I do or the way I carry myself, and therefore, Tom's not a good leader because he has tattoos. Tom's not a good leader because he doesn't wear nice clothes. Tom's not a good leader because, you know, and you just start, you know, picking at different things. And some of you in this room have done that. And there's dozens of people in this room that aren't here tonight that have found great excuses of why they shouldn't listen to Tom and where they are, who knows. Some people are doing well, some people not so much, you know, because I am not the, the grand holder of all truths. I'm just one guy doing the deal in a basement on a Friday that's trying to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus and overcome the areas that have, you know, crippled them for far too long. You know, and I am sharing my interpretation of what Scripture is and my, you know, testimony of how I had to to work through these things. So I'm sharing my experience, strength, and hope and how Jesus has set me free. Some of that will work for you, verbatim. If I do what Tom did, it worked. Some of you have to figure out a little bit of a different plan because our lives aren't exactly the same. Some of you single moms with kids, it's way different. Why? Because I am not a single mom with kids. And there's things that you're going to have to do or not do that I could 
I did or did not do because I'm a single man with no kids. So it doesn't align perfectly. So there's areas that we're investigating as we go. We're figuring it out. Some of you come from different ethnicities. Some of you come from different backgrounds. Some of you come from this. Some of you come from that. It's not going to align perfectly. However, if we get into the Bible and get into the principles of the Word, they transcend across every single one of our situations, but how they apply necessarily might be a little bit different for each and every one of us. Does that make sense? You know, but if I don't want to listen to what Tom has to say, or if I don't want to listen to what the pastor has to say, or if I don't want to listen to what my boss has to say, or I don't want to listen to what my mommy or my daddy has to say, I'm going to start critiquing and finding fault in them and find that they're not perfect and then therefore I can elevate myself and lower their ability to have any sort of authority in my life and therefore I can do whatever I want to do. How well has that worked for us? Not at all. (laughs) And the more of you that are laughing, the more you try it throughout your life. Some of us are really good at character assassinating people in authority. Why? Because every authority that we've ever had as kids and and grown up through the years has been horrible. So therefore, all authority is horrible. And that's not true. That we have to break through the lie that says all authority is bad, all authority is trying to control me, all authority is this, all authority is that, and realize that authority came from God. How people carried that is on them, necessarily, but one day they'll have to answer that to God for it. And people that are leaders have to act, answer in a, in a capacity of this double portion because they are influencing people. So if you're influencing people with your leadership in a negative way, you and Jesus are going to have a chat. You know, and for those of us that are trying to influence people in a positive way or try to point people to Jesus, you know, hopefully he says, you did a good job. But there's never a time that I've ever been perfect. I will make mistakes. You know, I will do things that I shouldn't do. Why? I'm a sinner. Sorry. I'm never going to be perfect. So for those of you that expect me to be perfect because I'm a leader, I'm sorry. I'm going to just let you down right now. And we can move forward with you already being let down, and maybe we can move forward and try to figure this thing out. (laughs) Because I'm never going to be perfect. I'm going to say things, do things, think things that are inappropriate and not biblical. Why? I'm human. Sorry. You know, but... I will do my best to love you to the, my best capacity and serve you to my best capacity and be for you, there for you in your times of need to the best of my ability. But that does not mean jump through your hoops. It means point you to Jesus. Because I am not trying to save any of you. It's not my job, and I can't do it. And I've tried, and it doesn't work. However, I can do real good at pointing to the person who does and can, and that is Jesus. And that's all I can technically do as a leader and say, I will represent him to the best of my ability and point to him and try to live it out to the best ability as an example and lead from the front as I am doing the same things I'm asking you to do. I'm not standing at the back yelling and screaming at you, you got to do it this way, while I'm living a completely different way. You know, And that to me is what leadership is. And that to me is what Paul is. Paul is someone that's living it. He's ground level, doing the deal, Giving up his life, where here's these other charismatic preachers that are coming through and preaching the gospel, but eh, a little different, and yet lining their pockets and moving forward. You know, so as they devalue Paul and his leadership, 
you know, they begin to show that their relationship with Jesus isn't necessarily in the right place. So Paul dives right into this, you know, and he addresses the, the issues that are normally just swept under the rug or we don't really talk about. So for those of you that love it so much, when I come at you so directly, you can blame Paul and talk to Jesus about him later. Because I think that it's important that we jump right to the real issues. You know, that patty cake and things around and, and trying to deal with the, the masks and the nonsense that you try to get me to believe when I can totally see some of the stuff because I have done some of the same things that you're trying to do to me and I see that it's nonsense. But I cut right to the real issue. Like, wow, Tom, you just jumped right in there. And like, mm, that's kind of what Paul did. And you know what? We save a lot of time. Because if you don't want to deal with a real issue, you're saving yourself time and me time. If you want me to, to deal with your mask and, and the things that you're trying to get me to believe, I, I don't have time for that. And neither do you. Because you're just wasting both of our time. So Paul jumps right in here. And he begins to address these issues that are normally just swept under the rug. He begins to, to state, you know, the devaluation of the leaders. And he simply, because of, of their, you know, wealth and eloquence, is their betrayal of Jesus. So he, he totally, just, you know, distorts this value system because true Christian leadership is not about status or self-promotion. You know, Paul depicts himself and other Christian leaders as that they are really captured slaves to King Jesus. You know, that if you're called to serve on any level, that, you know, it's different. You know, that it's not that I feel obligated, but I feel that it's a responsibility to, to serve people. You know, if I'm supposed to represent Jesus to the best of my ability and you're asking for help and I have the ability to help you and I'm saying no, then I have something going on in me. You know, that does not mean that I have to jump through everybody's hoop to help everybody. I do have to become willing. And a lot of times I'm not willing because I'm selfish and I don't want to do stuff. Like, Tom, will you help me move? My head says no. My mouth says yes. And then I'm mad at you because I'm serving you. Who knows what I'm talking about? But as we do that enough times, all of a sudden the heart begins to change. And, hey, will you help me move? Sure, I got you. And it's not, there's this thing that isn't going on in our heart or our mind anymore because we're legitimately just trying to help people. Where before I said no because I felt obligated. Because of my codependent rescuing, I have to say yes, but I don't want to do it. You know, and every time that we say yes to times that we don't want to, Jesus is getting in there and breaking off a, a chunk of that stony heart in my ability. However, our codependency can pull us way out of bounds. And sometimes Jesus wants us to say no because it makes us completely uncomfortable. So this is where the pray and obey stuff comes in and that we have to learn to hear God's voice because there's times that he's going to want us to say, no, you shouldn't do that because you're already doing way too much. And those are times that they're saying, yes, you should do that because you're selfish and, and you don't do anything. You know, so it's 
there's a balance in it. You know, we shouldn't go around rescuing and saving and doing everything for everybody. We need to be able to hear and discern the Holy Spirit as we begin to help people and serve people because we can get pulled way out of bounds. You know, so Paul is, you know, sharing this story on how leading people, you know, is this journey of triumph as we lay down our lives for Christ to serve other people. You know, Paul's job isn't to be this impressive, but rather point to Jesus type of leader. You know, you know, then he alludes to this recent demand from the Christians for them, for Paul to provide some sort of credentials. You know, we want you to give us a letter of recommendation. And see, this is where my sarcasm would just peak. <clears throat> you know, but Paul, you know, I think that even he's got some sarcasm in this if you really kind of read through it. You know, and, you know, it's funny because they wouldn't even be there if it wasn't for Paul. Like, Paul actually planted the church. Like, Paul labored in that city for years to establish that church, and then after that church was kind of risen up, he went on to plant another church, and then later on they're saying how of a horrible leader is, and, you know, we need letter of recommendation and credentials for us to listen to you. And, you know, Paul kind of just says, okay, all right. You know, so Paul states that you actually are the proof that I'm a genuine leader. And basically throws it right back in their faces. But the fact that you're even a Christian, you know, state the fact that this church is even here, sorry, Jesus kind of did that through me. You know, <clears throat> and then he, he begins to cleverly quote, you know, the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and he says, God's Spirit has written his letter of recommendation on on their hearts. You know, this new covenant people, they shouldn't even need any more proof of that. Which leads Paul into the this comparison between the old covenant between God and Israel that was mediated through God and Moses to this new covenant between God and the Corinthians mediated through Jesus and the Spirit of God. You know, the old covenant at Mount Sinai was truly glorious and it made Moses himself shine with God's glory. But the glory eventually faded because the law was ineffective at changing the heart of Israel. But this new covenant, by comparison, is more glorious because this redirect, you know, Jesus in the very glory of God and that he lives forever and through his spirit is transforming the people and the people's hearts to make them faithful like Jesus himself. So he's bringing this comparison and saying, the fact that you're even doing this is proof that God is moving. However, you're getting out of bounds and you need more Jesus. You know, Paul goes on to show that there this paradox of the cross. You know, Jesus, his kingdom is upside down. You know, and many of us have come across this because we try to do things the way we would normally do them in the natural, and it seems like we're always hitting a roadblock. And then we kind of look at it upside down in a sense, that Jesus wasn't a king and a military leader. He was a servant, and he laid down his life for the many. 
you know, and this is why, like, so often, you know, we miss it because we think God wants to make us happy. And then true reality is when we suffer well that we rejoice in Christ because we realize that we have him and that's all we need. And it makes no sense outside of a relationship with Christ. So, you know, he is exalting King Jesus through his suffering, his execution and death on this cross, that Jesus revealed God's salvation, that he died for the sins of the world, to reconcile the people to God and put the cross is even more as it reveals God's character. Jesus is self-giving through his suffering and love and that he seeks to bring others to their own cross that brings renewal and this new crucified way of life that we deny ourselves by bringing death to our selfish ways that produce sin so that the goal is that we imitate Christ and God is glorified. And it's hard to deny ourselves. When we deny ourselves, what normally happens? Pissed off. Angry. Frustrated. I want what I want. Because if I grab a hold of that thing that I want, my flesh will be satisfied. But then the same thing that's leading me into that is the very voice that brings the condemnation once I've done it. But if I deny myself, as frustrating as hard as it is, I walk away from that moment glorifying Jesus with a peace that goes beyond understanding because I have yet, I did not fall into the sin that I'm resisting and I realize that I'm gaining victory. And I realize that Jesus is strong enough to get me through this time of temptation. Now, there's going to be some good days and there's going to be some bad days. There's going to feel like days that it's just a constant fight that we literally just want to choke somebody and it doesn't matter who it is and we'll be okay. If I just get my hands around one person's neck, then I'll be satisfied. You know, if I look at this one website, if I, you know, eat this one thing, if I smoke this one thing, if I snort this one thing, if I go talk to this one person, some of us, it's texting. Texting the wrong person is the very thing that I can't control. You know, or communicating with somebody I know I shouldn't. You know, and the more I want, I want, I want, I want to see, I want to know. And God's saying, just trust me. There is a war literally going on inside of us. And it sucks. It sucks. Okay? Just Let me just be plain. It's not fun. On the other side of that said suffering is so much peace and so much healing and so much restoration in such a deeper, intimate relationship with Jesus because we realize that His Word is true. That when we do it His way, although we may suffer in the moment, peace comes. You know, that we can't get, if I sin in this way, there is no peace. There's nothing but condemnation and, and struggle and a temptation to choke another person. Man, my nose is running. So this this new crucified way of life, you know, that Paul's goal is that his life would imitate the cross. And through his apostolic career, that it's marked through humility and suffering, you know, by poverty, that it was to serve the Corinthians so that 
even though they disapproved of Paul's poverty and suffering, that they disapproved of Jesus too. Paul's way of life and his leadership is actually proof that he authentically represent a crucified and risen Jesus. Because no one would live that way. No one would do the things that those apostles did back in the day. Not just Paul. You know, if you really look at the, you know, the life of the apostles and what they were willing to do after the power of the Holy Spirit came on them and how they left everything behind to onto their death, that you don't do that stuff. You literally don't do what they did. You know, so Paul's exclamation point on the fact that he's representing Jesus in a way that other people haven't, even other leaders, is the way that he's been living his life. <clears throat> you know, that he goes on to state that Jesus is transforming them by embracing this upside-down paradox of the cross in the kingdom of God. You know, he begins to address generosity. You know, because they're most of them are very wealthy. And they're trying to raise money for the Christians that are in Jerusalem because there was a famine in the land and they had no money. So he was going around to these different places and asking them to raise up some money to send back to Jerusalem. And all these other little churches, even though they were in cities that weren't as wealthy as Corinth, were finding it a pleasure to be generous to help their brothers and sisters out. Where Corinth, who was a wealthy city, because of their greed and thinking that their prosperity represented Jesus, and why would they want to give their Jesus away to somebody else so they could have some Jesus, they looked at money as the representation of how much Jesus they had. So that they weren't willing to be generous and give away their money to other people that were struggling. So he goes in to share this story that their greed is showing that their hearts have not been transformed by the gospel of Jesus. You know, and that they're, you know, he goes in to say, for you know that the generous grace of our, our God, Jesus Christ the Messiah, that through he was rich for your sake, he became poor. So through his poverty, you might become rich. Paul is telling the story of the gospel through financial metaphors that Jesus' glorious honor equals wealth beyond our understanding, and he lowered himself to the death of a poor slave so that other people who were imprisoned through their sin and death can be exalted and become wealthy with the riches of heavens and God's grace. So he's showing them that you can have all the money in the world and still miss it. And yet Jesus, who is our Messiah, laid it all down and basically died a, you know, a, a criminal's death so that we could have the freedom. And to be a Christian is to seek out this ability to give what we have to give and even make another step. You know, sometimes Jesus is going to ask us to give away stuff that isn't comfortable. You know, he's going to ask us to, to tithe. He's going to ask us to be generous. He's going to ask us to give into different ministries. 
you know, and there's times that it's like, you know, I can go buy this new piece of clothing or I can support somebody. You know, I can help some kid go to camp or I'm going to, you know, help, you know, some other ministry. I'm going to help CareNet or I'm going to help, you know, some other, you know, organization that, you know, God has put on our heart. Some of us may, you know, represent and sponsor a child in a foreign land. You know, I did that for many years. You know, I was, you know, through Compassion Ministries, I was sponsoring a child. You know, and some of us do that now. You know, I know certain families that have like half a dozen, you know, little kids on their refrigerator from all over the place because that's their way of giving back, you know. You know, and some of us are like, I'm that poor person. You should just donate to me. Like, I'm taking offering. Yep, see? You know, like, this is Sean's self-serving ministry. You can write checks directly to Sean Knight. (laughs) It's not tax exempt. you got to pay double tax. Double tax. Double tax. But anyway, you know that Jesus is trying to get into our mind and our heart. He uses money, which is usually at the root of a lot of our frustration and fear, to show that as we give the very thing that we're so scared about away, we realize that God has an ability to give us peace and grace and mercy and sufficient funds through, you know, some crazy times. Now, for some of us that have spending issues, it does not mean that I can run up credit and buy and buy and buy and buy and buy and be like, oh wait, Jesus, you're supposed to take care of me. That we need to be good stewards of what God gives us. So there's a balance in there. You know, so often we're like, bye, 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 and I, I give the church $10 and I'm expecting God to pay my mortgage. Like, yeah, that's not really how it's supposed to work. Press down, shaking together. You know, no, no, no. You know, here we are back in the prosperity gospel where we think that Jesus is going to write my check. You know, pay my bills, Jesus. Check's in the mail. You know, like, there's a balance. I think that we need to be good stewards of what God gives us. I think that it's important for us to be generous. I think it's important for us to represent Christ with our money to the best of our ability. You know, and through it, you know, some of us don't have a lot of money. I get it. You know, you got to do your best with what you're at. I've been in, you know, similar shoes. I came to Utica with a duffel bag out of jail. That's all I had. That's literally all I had. I did not even have a bed. And yet you look forward so many years and God has blessed me in so many ways. You know, that it's hard to share the testimonies of how Jesus has provided for me because it sounds crazy. I feel like I'm bragging when I when I talk about God's provision in my life. It legitimately does not make sense. You know, the things that I you know possess today, the places that I've been today, that God has provided the way each and every time. It doesn't make sense. I remember my very first mission trip as I'm praying to go to Ecuador and somebody walked up to me in the church and handed me $100. Like, I've been praying for you and God told me to give you this. I'm not even kidding. My legit first thought was, why didn't this happen while I was using? Like, how amazing would it have been if somebody just walked up and said, here, I've been thinking about you, here's 100 bucks. Maybe I would have praised God a lot sooner. But anyway, it's probably best that he didn't. I'd probably be dead. But God has this way of providing. When we lay things down and step out for his kingdom, all of a sudden, 
you know, his finances begin to flow into our path, but it's for his will. It's not so I can just go, you know, buy whatever I want to buy. You know, so as crazy as it seems, I mean, I've literally been all all over this world and it's always been God's dime. You know, and I've watched other people go on mission trips that literally, I'm like, I'm struggling paying my bills right now, Tom. How am I supposed to do this? And they're like, trust God, take a step. And all of a sudden God steps out and he shows up and it's like, this doesn't make any sense. But our mind is blown on this level that God has the ability to pour out his riches into our lives, not just through grace, but also financial. However, it doesn't come for our selfish desires. It will come to build his kingdom. You know, and I'll end with this. Like, I've been doing this a long time now. Like, everybody asks me where we're at. And I'm like, oh, we got some more paperwork to fill out. And they're like, what? And I'm like, ow. Like, whatever. At this point, it's just, whatever. It's just another piece of paper. I thought we should have been done four years ago. Four years ago, I was anxious to get this stuff done. At this point, another month, another week, another year is just like, whatever. Why? Because I've rested into God's timing. And I've watched how he's provided for me through the years. Well, what's the next step, Tom? I don't know. we got to get this paperwork done, and then God is going to open up a door to property. Well, where are you going? I have no idea. But what I do know, he already knows where I'm going. He already knows where GZM will have its headquarters. He already knows it. And all I have to do is say, here we go. Well, how is he going to pay for it? I have no idea. But my daddy's got all the beef because he's got a cattle of a thousand hills. So he wants to send me a cow to pay for something, then so be it. And maybe someday we'll have some cows and we'll watch Leon milk them. It'll be amazing. Teach Leon to be a farmer. It'll be amazing. We'll let you shoot buckets afterwards and give you chicken. We could grow chickens. See, now I got you thinking. I'll give you like a half a dozen chickens. You'd be like, I'm milking cows, Tom. Anyway. God has this ability to provide for us when we, we step out from our fears and say, I, I trust you. Now, that does not mean that we can just do whatever we want. I think that there's stewardship in our time, stewardship in our money, stewardship in our relationships, you know, and saying, God, I'm trusting you, but also I need to do my part, you know. So I just want to encourage everyone here, you know, that we're, we're working through this stuff. You know, this letter is... Basically a confrontation of relationship, which is never fun. But it's God's word, and it's a timely word for some of us in this room. You know, some of us needed to hear this said the way that it was said tonight. Why? Because there's conflicts in our lives, and there's stuff that we need to work through. There's greed in our heart, and there's stuff that needs to get processed. There's stuff that we need to repent. There's stuff that we need to do that Holy Spirit's been like, hey, let's do this. And we're like, no, I don't want to do that. And the Holy Spirit's like, well, this is going to be a fun ride. I'm eternal. How long you got? You know, and some of us are fighting the Holy Spirit in areas, and we're not winning. It's not been fun for a minute. And as we lay this stuff down and we let Jesus back in, and we get a clear understanding of who Christ is, that it's not always going to be this perfect, you know, happy life, that there is trials and tribulations. However, Christ is glorified that we walk through those with a grace that other people around us don't understand how we're able to walk through what we walk through with peace. You know, and 
a testimony to this is my fat butt going to CrossFit. It took me two months to be able to even handle one of those things. It's like an hour of torture. And when I first started going, it literally took me a week for my body to recuperate enough to go back to another class. And it's taken me two months to be able to go to three classes as I'm supposed to be going to three classes in the week. And every time that they up the ante of their workout and they like legit think of different ways to torture you, I'm laughing. Other people in the class are moaning and yelling and swearing and this and that. And I'm, they say, well, we are going to do this. And I just start laughing. And they're like, you're always in a good mood. I'm like, no, you're just trying to torture me. It's great. <laughs> I legit think you're trying to kill me. But hey, let's do it. There's a joy inside of me that other people don't have. Why? Because Jesus is in there. I hate that stuff. However, I'm laughing as I'm doing it because I legit think that these people are trying to kill me. And to me, it's funny. Like, here, let's take the worst exercise and add things to it to make it worse. Yes, burpees plus, jump over the bar. Burpees plus, jump in the air. Burpees plus, lift bell bars or bell, or barbells over your head. Like, let's legit think of making this harder. And every time they say it, I just start laughing. They're like, you have such a great attitude. I'm like, you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea. I'm not rejoicing necessarily at what you're trying to do. I'm rejoicing at the fact that you're thinking that this is fun. But yeah, I do it to the best of my ability because why? I know God wants me to deny myself in this area and work on myself and, and lose weight and be more disciplined in food and, you know, in my awesome body that wants to deteriorate and it has bumps and grinds and hurts every day. Thank you, Jesus. I wish that my back didn't hurt. But guess what? I'm going to the gym with a hurt back. And here we go. I got knees that suck. And I can still play basketball better than most people. <laughs> you just bow your heads with me. Lord, you are amazing. You are working in each one of our lives. Lord, you're working in each one of our families in ways that, that go beyond our understanding. Lord, that we have gone through trials and tribulations. We have rejected your ways of doing things. And yet some of us are back, and some of us are back again, and some of us are back for the third or fourth, fifth time. God, your mercy and your grace goes far beyond our understanding. Lord, I pray that you would come into our situations. If there is conflict, if there is things that are unresolved, we pray for your words and your, your presence to come into our situations, come into our marriages, come into our families, come into the relationships with our children. Come into the relationships with our spouses. Come into the relationships with our fathers. Come into the relationships with our mothers. And bring restoration. Help us to give ourselves the grace that you so easily provided for us so many years ago as you laid down your life for us, Lord. That your amazing grace has come to set us all free, Lord. Help us to really truly accept it and allow you to set us free and allow ourselves to let ourselves free. Help us to realize the generosity that you have given us so freely that we would serve you in some capacity, Lord. Some of us are not called to ministry, but some of us, our jobs might be our ministry. Our family might be our ministry, Lord. 
that you would give us a word, that you would give us a vision for the remainders of our lives, Lord, that you would show us how our painful experiences bring forth a testimony that people cannot deny. We could argue about the Bible, but we cannot really truly argue about our personal testimonies, Lord, and how you have set the captives free. So, Lord, we pray that you would begin to move in such powerful ways, bringing peace into an anxious mind, bringing healing into a broken heart. Lord, we need you so much. And help us to realize you love us. Even if we leave here tonight and make the same mistake that we made before we got here, that your love for us goes far beyond our understanding, Lord. And that you will be with us. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. So, Lord, I just pray that you would bring healing right now. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen, 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 amen.